Hey, what's up, Queens Church? Thank you so much to Johnny and the team for leading us in worship yet again. Um, as you can see, we're not in our normal spot. VBS took over our studio this week, and the team did such a great job. So um, give them some clap hands there in the comments. If your children or you know of some children who appreciated VBS this week, great job, Candace and her team. As we continue this series, week two of goals, I want to hear how your goals are going. I told you in the chat last week, my goal was to be journaling my prayers um, and how that I've seen that in the past help my prayer life. Um, so write your goal there in the comments if you have one. I know a few of you do. You've been letting me know. Um, and let's keep holding each other accountable for those goals. Now, after facing the facts last week of creation and fall, we can now rejoice this week in the Redeemer who has been tenacious throughout the ages to bring his people to salvation. So we're going to look at that next step in the story of the gospel, and that is God's redemption. This week we're going to see Stephen the deacon who outlines this story of redemption by emphasizing the truth that God pursues his people regardless of their performance. God pursues people regardless of their performance. You know, that's happened to me before um, in my personal life. Um, growing up um, in high school, uh, Lindsay, my current wife, um, hopefully my last wife as well, uh, Lindsay and I were dating, and um, we had done this thing where, you know, we were waiting for her to, to uh, turn 16 so we could officially go on dates. And during this time that we're waiting, and I'm a little older, uh, you know, I was, I was lying to Lindsay a little bit about what was happening. So I was actually um, behind her back, involved in a couple of different girls' uh, lives relationally, okay? And as we're doing this, uh, all secretive, um, we come to a head in our relationship where things are going to progress to the next step, but I couldn't in good conscience progress without telling her the truth. This was at the time and still would probably land in my top five most difficult nights of my entire life. But I decided I was going to tell Lindsay the truth. So um, I set a date, she came over, and we began to talk. And I just poured my heart out to her. I told her the truth. And through tears from both of us, she looked me straight in the face and said, for some reason, knowing all of that makes me love you even more. I mean, it was the answer I was hoping for, right? But it definitely wasn't the answer that I was expecting. Here I am, a liar and a cheater, coming clean about everything I had been doing over the past couple of years. And the person who I love looks me back in the face and says, knowing all of this, I choose to love you. And in fact, I love you even more than I did. Now, at the time I could see, if you are an adult, you were looking back at teenage Lindsay and you could say to her, yeah, but you know, if she only knew, or that's a love that would never hold, right? That's puppy love or something like that. But here we are. 15 years later, 12 years into marriage, four kids, eight moves, ups and downs, loss of loved ones, and our love is stronger now than it ever has been. You see, Lindsay kept pursuing and loving me even after she found out the truth, the truth that no one wants to hear, that someone has been unfaithful to you. So God, we see here through Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7, does the same exact thing to us. So open your Bibles right now to Acts chapter 7. You're going to need to follow along in just a moment. We have a little treat um, for you. But as you're opening to Acts 7, let me just tell you a few things about Stephen. Stephen, 
Stephen is the first deacon, one of the first seven deacons chosen. And um, <clears throat> deacons are a very interesting breed. Deacons are the people who in church are already serving an exorbitant amount, better than anyone else. And the pastors will look at them and choose them to come and say, listen, I want to elevate you to a place that frees you to do nothing but service. And in that first set of deacons, the main service they needed to do was serve the tables of the orphans and the widows who were of the Greek-speaking Jews that were being left out. So there's this, this group of people who were the least of these, everyone else was leaving out, and the pastors said to the deacons, we want you to serve them. I want to start by asking a few questions of you, because I think maybe God is calling some of us to serve the least of these, but sometimes we can get so focused on looking and trying to bef- looking to and trying to befriend and cozy up to the people who are popular or the people who have influence or the people who have money that we might ignore what God is calling us actually to do, which is serve the least of these. It's not a popular job, right? But I want us to see through Stephen's story that God uses these table servants to transform the world. Being a table servant in the kingdom of God is not like being a table servant in the kingdom of the world. They're not the least of these. In fact, serving the least of these is taking on the cloak of Christ. It's what Jesus does for us. And God's great redemption of mankind is accomplished through and announced by people who serve the least of these. In fact, if you are serving tables right now, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit like Stephen is. See, the difference between someone who serves tables like a deacon reluctantly and someone who serves tables like Stephen, who you're about to read about, is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Stephen wasn't sulking around in his apron, cleaning up the dirty dishes, sad that he hadn't been called to preach like Peter or or Paul eventually. He was too busy for those things. He was too busy being filled with the Spirit. In fact, um, in, in Acts, the writer says that he was brimming with grace and power. He didn't have room for self-pity and fear. And when you and I walk in our calling, God fills us with these things, these things that we know we don't deserve. And because you've emptied yourself, there's more room for the Holy Spirit. So this is the Stephen we hear from, right? Not some lowly person, humble and sad and sulking in their self-pity as he serves tables. No, Someone who is filled with grace and power because the Holy Spirit is overflowing out of them. This deacon, Stephen, is arrested and brought before the religious council in Jerusalem because the religious council was threatened by the message that he had to them. They accused him of blasphemy in four different counts. A full blasphemy is what they accused him of. And as he was standing in the court, the writer of Acts said to everyone in attendance that his face was shining with light as though he were an angel. And the charges were read by the high priest. And then the high priest asks the question, Stephen, are these things true? Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into a land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. 
And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land where you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, even though he had no child. Then God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. But God said, I will judge the nation that they, that they serve. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And then Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him the ruler over Egypt and over all of the household. Now came a, a famine throughout all of Egypt and all of Canaan and great affliction. And our fathers had no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And then on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh, and Joseph sent and summoned Jacob to his father and all of his kindred, some of his, some 75 people in all. And then Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died. He and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem, and laid in a tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt very shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. And at this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended that oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they 
didn't understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and then tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you're brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And at that retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when another forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame, in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he drew near to look, and there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled, and he did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their groaning, and I've come down to deliver them. And now come, and I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, who they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared in, to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And then they, they made a calf in those days, and they offered a sacrifice to the idol, and they were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, Do you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness? House of Israel? You took up the tent of Malach and the star of your god Raphan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. 
our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they were dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. And so it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and, and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is my place of rest? Did not my hands make all of these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your hearts and ears, you resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. Who you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels. And you didn't keep it. Big thanks to our own Stephen. Thank you, Steve, for doing that reading of Acts chapter 7. You know, this deacon right here who I just described before, a table servant, right? Serving the least of these. He takes the opening given to him by the council to show how God won't stop in pursuing his people. And that's the title of today's sermon, God Won't Stop. Now, you might be saying, how I get how this wonderful servant of God can receive redemption, right? I mean, Pastor Larry, that person you just described, who is filled with grace and power, filled with the Holy Spirit, he doesn't sulk around in self-pity, he doesn't apologize, he's not sad all the time serving tables. I understand how he could receive redemption. But that doesn't mean that I can. Because listen, the truth might be for you that you do sulk in self-pity. Or maybe you do act out of fear and not in the power that God has given you. How could I receive redemption if that's my story? Well, let's look at just two quick things from this scripture to see how you can receive that same redemption. And the first one is as simple as this. Church, God's pursuit of us is not dependent on our performance. God's pursuit of you is not dependent on your performance. Listen to Israel's performance record that you just heard Steve quote Stephen quoted by Luke in the book of Acts. Listen to this. You ready? Here's what Stephen just accused Israel of. This is their track record. The one who God continued to pursue. He won't stop. Here's what they did. He said they refused to obey. He said they thrust God aside. He said they turned back to slavery. He said they fashioned idols to worship. They resisted the Holy Spirit. They didn't listen to God. And they stubbornly rejected wisdom. If you think, well, I've done all those things. We're only halfway through the list. 
They betrayed, they betrayed the Messiah. They murdered the Messiah. They persecuted the prophets of God. They became jealous of Joseph, who was sent to save them. They sold Joseph into slavery. They exiled Moses, who was God's chosen ruler and judge, and they did not keep the law. You see, we are a people, church, who cancel debt once retribution has been given, right? That's how our money is treated in this day and age. You don't get a debt canceled by a credit card company just because you apologize to them, right? You have to pay retribution. You gotta, you gotta pay up. They, in fact, won't stop nagging you until you do, right? And God is no different. You see, the debt couldn't be canceled until it had been paid for. And obviously, Israel's performance was not going to pay for the debt. In fact, Israel's performance just kept digging them deeper and deeper and deeper into the hole. Similar to how my performance in my relationship with Lindsay early on was digging a hole deeper and deeper and deeper for me. You and I owe a great debt. And just like Israel had no way to pay for their debt based on their performance, we have no way to pay for our debt based on our performance. In fact, we could never pay for it. The book of Romans actually teaches that we're dead in our trespasses. So even if we thought we could pay for it, we're not even alive enough spiritually to do it on our own. But praise God that his redemption isn't dependent on our performance, right? In fact, God's redemption isn't even dependent on my obedience. That's certainly what we see the religious leaders of that day, who Stephen was talking to, believing, right? They believed that if they could hedge in the law enough, in other words, here was God's law, so what we're going to do to stay away from breaking that is we're going to add another set of laws on the outside and another set of laws on the outside of that. This theological term is called hedging in the law. In other words, if I am wanting to stay pure in my relationship sexually with someone of the opposite sex, right, before we're getting married, and I'm wanting to honor God with that, I can hedge in by saying, okay, we're not going to be alone together in a bedroom. And I could say, okay, we're not going to be um, making out alone together on the couch. And you see, you can just hedge in the law further and further. And what the religious leaders of the day had done was hedge in God's law so much so that they would be obedient to everything. In fact, the rich young ruler that Jesus approached, remember, he, this happened to him. He said, God, how do I inherit eternal life? And he told him, you follow the law. And he said, I've done all those things. Some of us might say, how could he possibly be, not be lying? He may have not been lying. He may have actually kept the law that strictly because they hedged it in so tightly. But what, what this young ruler failed and the religious leaders of the day and Stephen failed to do was realize that what had kept them from the love of God the whole time was that they misunderstood the law's purpose altogether. They didn't understand the point of it all. We see this in the rich young ruler story when Jesus called him to leave everything and go and serve the poor. And he said, I can't do that. And he turned away sad. Right, so our reluctance to leave Everything that we have been given in service to God shows that our, our, our passions are really tied up in our obedience to him. And God says, your obedience to me is not what saves me. Now, obedience might sanctify you following salvation. That's a story for another week. But obedience doesn't save us. We can't obey God's law enough to be redeemed. So God's pursuit is not dependent on your performance. 
The second thing that we see about redemption from what Stephen talks about here is that God's redemption reaches out to you in the depths of your disobedience. In other words, the deeper you go into disobedience, the deeper God's redemption goes to reach out to you. The story of redemption is not a story of your performance. It's the story of God's pursuit. God pursues you because he loves you, not because you deserved it. The most commonly known scripture in the Bible is John 3.16. You may know it yourself. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He didn't say, For God was so impressed with the way his people were obeying that he gave his only son. So because God's love is what sent Jesus to earth, and your disobedience can't change his love, then his redemption is not based on your obedience. In fact, God pursues you even to the depths of the disobedience you sit in today. This is true not only for those who are outside of the family of God. This is true for you, Christian. You churchgoer, you person who was raised in church like me, or those of you who just became followers of Jesus, God's redemption pursues you continually, even in the midst of your disobedience. God was moved by his own love for you, not by your obedience to him, to, re to bring redemption to sinners like you and me. You see, just like Lindsay, filled with grace, loved me because she saw a future with me that she wasn't willing to allow the past to change, God pursues you because he sees a future a future of yours that he's not willing to allow the past to change. Romans 5.19 says this, For as, as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience that many will be made righteous. Can I get an amen in the, in the comment section for that? Paul says, listen, it's not by your obedience that you are made righteous. If you could be made righteous by your own obedience, Jesus would not have had to suffer and die. That's the truth of the matter. Paul says, when Adam sinned and disobeyed, like we learned last week, the fall happened in all of creation. Remember the fracturing we spoke about last week? Everything was fractured. And humans' obedience could never bring that fracture back to healing. It is only through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus' obedience to follow God's will, even to the point of death on a cross, that makes sinners righteous. God's redemption, church, we have to, we have to learn this bef before we can move to the next step in our goals with God. We have to learn that, that God's redemption does not depend on you and me. God reaching his hand out, pursuing you. God never stopping. doesn't depend on you. Look back across Stephen's sermon. Listen to what he told those people in the Council of Israel. He basically said, you guys missed the bar on every single opportunity, yet God still won't stop pursuing you. Why is that? It's because he has a plan for your good through Jesus Christ. His redemption is found in the blood of Jesus Christ. God won't stop even though your love for him or your devotion to the Son 
may wane, his love for you and his pursuit of you will not stop. He is for you and he desires for you to respond to his love with complete surrender. So church, what are your next steps today? Maybe your next step is in that very last sentence. It's to surrender to God. Maybe you are being called like Stephen to something that's not glamorous or or doesn't fit into the box of what you thought your life would be. But God has placed you there for his purpose and you need to remain in him filled with the Holy Spirit and ready to answer the door when he opens it. That involves surrender. You know, obviously Stephen had the gift of public speaking, yet why did he become a deacon? It's very simple, church, because God called him to. And then when he surrendered to God's calling on his life, and he didn't sulk in self-pity as a deacon, but instead relied on the Holy Spirit, was filled with grace and power, God then opened doors for him to do things better than he would have ever had to, gotten to do if he opened the doors himself. Maybe your next step is you need to surrender to God today. Just say, I surrender to your calling on my life, God. Maybe the next step for you is to stop trying to perform to earn God's love. Stop trying to obey your way into the family of God or into favor with God. And you need to do this. Rest. Rest in the work that Christ Jesus completed. We didn't really read the end of the story, but what happens is Stephen outraged that council so much so that they drove him out of the city. Upon leaving the city, they picked up stones and they stoned him to death. You know, you can't throw stones when you're wearing a big heavy coat. So as the council took off their coats, they asked a man named Saul to hold the coats. And that man, Saul, stood a young man, zealous stood and presided over the killing of Stephen. You see, these religious men of the day, they were resting in their work. They took it upon themselves to accomplish the work of God. Not understanding and completely missing the point that the work of God was completed in the day of Christ Jesus. And what they needed to do, like Stephen, was rest. And Stephen, his final cry was, the same as Jesus' final cry on the earth. He said, Father, forgive them. And church, God may be calling you to some radical act of forgiveness, to rest in the work of Jesus and stop trying to perform or obey enough to save or redeem yourself. And if that's God calling on your life, I want you to see and hear from those final words of Stephen what God can do through you. That same man who presided over that killing, the first Christian martyr, Stephen. His name was Saul. And just a few chapters later in Acts 9, we see this man, Saul, encounter Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, on the road as he's traveling to Damascus to persecute more Christians and kill even more Christians. And Jesus transforms his life that day. And in the person of Saul, who later becomes Paul, we see the answer to Stephen's prayer. Stephen prayed, God, please forgive these men who are killing me right now. God answered that prayer with a resounding yes, and he forgave Saul, and he raised him up to be a leader. And we know from Acts chapter 22 that Paul never forgot about that day. Paul recounts it later, saying that he remembers 
being the one who presided over and approved of Stephen's death. You see, Paul knew then what he wished he had known at that time, which was Stephen was resting in the completed work of Jesus Christ while he was trying to perform for God's acceptance. You can't perform for God's acceptance. Maybe you need to stop trying to perform to earn God's love, and you need to rest today. So next steps are surrender to God today, rest in God today, and finally, maybe you need to trust Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're like Saul or any of those other religious leaders who had never surrendered. They were just trying to perform, and you've never said, Jesus, I trust you for salvation. I want to invite you to take a leap of faith today. You can have the opportunity right now, wherever you're watching this, on your phone or on your iPad or on your TV, to pray and and trust Jesus and receive him as your Savior. If you would like to do that today for the very first time, pray with me right now. Just repeat these words. Jesus, I trust you. I leave my sinful life behind and I turn from my sins and I face you. I know that I cannot perform for salvation. Jesus, I rest in your completed work on the cross. Save me. In your name I pray. Amen. The Bible teaches that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Church, if you just got saved by praying that prayer today for the very first time, I invite you to do the next courageous thing, which is to raise your hand in the comment section or say, I just prayed that prayer. And one of our pastors would love to reach out to you and follow up with you about how you can become a disciple of Jesus after salvation. Obedience is a part of the gospel. So don't mishear me, church. But obedience is not what saves you. Obedience is what sanctifies you. We rest in the work of Jesus for salvation. Church, God will not stop pursuing you. So I'll just act like I said, amen. Yeah. Church, if you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, I want to ask you to do the next courageous step, and that's to raise your hand and say, I just prayed that prayer in the comments section. We would love to reach out to you and, and follow up with you about the next steps of obedience. You see, salvation does not happen by obedience. It's about resting in the work of Jesus but Jesus continues to save us and to, and to make us holy, and that happens through obedience, and we'd love to talk with you about that. But church, I want us all to remember today, as we set goals in our relationship with God, to remember that He has redeemed us, and church, God won't stop. He didn't stop in the Old Testament, He didn't stop in the New Testament, and He won't stop in your life. Keep trusting Him, keep following Him, and keep pursuing the God who will never stop pursuing you. I love you, church. I can't wait to see you throughout the week in Zoom hangs or maybe walking around the streets. Keep getting plugged in. Don't let online be the only time that you are worshiping with us. We love you, and I'll see you next week.